Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Welcome back. It's season five, women. It's so good to be back here with you all. Wow, so much has happened since I signed off in May. I'm going to give you a quick update and then we will dive into our first amazing story of the season. So we, as always, have a lot going on over here. On a personal note, we have settled nicely onto our beautiful 65 acres of land and have accomplished so much in our first year of living with this special land. Over the summer, I held my first annual women's festival, a lifelong dream of mine, and it was better and more powerful than I could possibly explain right now. I also recently had an incredible women's retreat, which continues to be the exact medicine that I need again and again. Our chickens are finally giving us eggs. We're learning how to butcher. Well, Johnny is, I'm not. Our greenhouse is almost ready for plants and our first garden was a hot mess. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to trying again next year. Johnny and I have lifted the veil to consciously conceiving our next child And that certainly comes with all the feelings and the hopes and the fears and the dreams and the control freak in me. So all of that is alive right now. I'm also thrilled to share that we have families who are very dear to us moving to the area and I can just see what we're doing and what we're growing into in a whole new way. As for Free Birth Society, we're as busy as ever. We will soon be releasing the pre-sale of our newest course, which is a course by the incredible Kate Varsava. The course is called Womancraft, A Witch's Awakening. I will gush about this course another time, but for now, you can check it out at freebirthsocietycourses.com slash womancraft. Then November 1st, we will open enrollment for the spring round of the Radical Birthkeeper School. We are halfway through our fall session right now with 86 students from 21 countries, and I'm just continually mind blown by the magic we are all spinning together. Women are attending births outside the system, coaching women who want free births, rocking their businesses, collaborating with other students in their own countries. It's just so cool. Our spring round begins March 1st, and you can grab your spot beginning November 1st. In December, we will finally open the gates to a project we've been working on behind the scenes for the past year. It's called the Blood Mysteries School. It will be run by the medicine women, Kristen Hauser and Nancy Lucina. And in short, it will completely change your life. So more on that later. 
And for those of you wondering, I will be releasing tickets to next summer's Matriarch Rising Festival in the new year. So hang tight and make sure that you're on my newsletter. The dates are on the site already at matriarchrisingfestival.com. So before we kick off this season, I want to acknowledge the current global climate and how much pain and anger and fear we are holding in this COVID era. Things are changing fast and feeling very uncertain, particularly for those of us who choose to remain uninjected. People are losing their jobs in droves, families and friend groups have fallen apart, and the worldwide segregation has begun. People are being fired from their long-standing jobs, not allowed to fly or enter grocery stores, being denied medical care, and more. These are dark times. It weighs heavy on my heart every day. And I want to say here in this space that I stand with freedom. I stand with personal choice. I stand with nature. I stand with life. And in this elevated push towards transhumanism, and as people willfully inject themselves with new technology and beg for more government control over their lives and ours, I pray that this podcast will find exactly who is meant to hear it, who will benefit from these freedom stories, and who will know and remember that there are countless people the world over standing together and who will not back down. You are not alone, and we are here to be in community with you. We have an amazing membership community, and you're welcome to apply for it on our website. These are freedom stories of women around the world birthing in power, mothering in their self-authority, and learning how to untangle themselves from the systems that seek to diminish the power of mother baby. But these aren't the only ones. There are thousands and thousands of these stories around the world right now. Join us on a journey this season as we hear the tales of women birthing at home, entirely free from the industrial birth complex, of women bringing birth back to where it belongs, in our homes and in our hands. Enjoy. Here at Free Birth Society, you know we love surprise twin stories. So, with her first birth, Celia was put through the conveyor belt of industrial obstetrics. But as she reflected on her birth experience postpartum, she came to the quick conclusion that there must be a better way forward. With her second pregnancy, Celia found free birth. And after connecting with like-minded sisters in our very membership, she committed to the path of undisturbed birth for her next baby. Celia and her husband had a total surprise when she birthed not one, but two babies. Celia shares with us the sweet story of her late father guiding her through her process, the power of affirmations, and what life is like as a mother of three littles. (laughs) So I'm really excited to hear all of this today. You have the infamous video of the surprise twins, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to start with with your initiation into motherhood, which, which was with your son. So tell us kind of where, wherever it begins for you. Okay. Well, um, my partner and I had been together already eight years when we got married. Um, we were high school sweethearts, so we were ready to try immediately, um, and got pregnant right away with my son. Wait, so how old were you when you guys got together? We were 17. 
Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) And then you waited eight years just because you were getting your life together and going to school and all kinds of stuff happening. And we got a house, you know, traditionally got married, started a family, all of that. Um, And I was very much in the system for this pregnancy um, and didn't know of any other options, really. Pregnancy was good. Um, You know, just some classic nausea, heartburn, whatever, but I felt great. Um, I waited through all my three, three and a half hour OB appointments to hear that everything was perfect. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All that jazz. Um, What was your reference point for birth and early, like postpartum breastfeeding, natural birth? Like what had you heard about for better or worse at this point? Yeah, that's, um, so I had, I had obviously, you know, classic story felt like I had to prove myself. Um, I had heard of home births and I had thought that would be ideal. Mm. I only heard of one actual home birth story ever around me, which ended in a transfer to hospital. So, um, I didn't have any other language or understanding of the birth community at all outside of that. Um, and I was the first in my family to even be pregnant. Um, I have three sisters, so. Uh, I was the first one. And so really had no experience, but I started looking for information. I knew there was something in the back of my head and I was looking up, you know, positive birth stories, um, YouTube videos of positive births, of course, never once came across free birth or anything. Just, um, I had a great hospital birth story. Right. Um, and then I bought some books on like hypnobirthing. I started listening to hypnobirthing tracks every night. So I had my whole, birth plan ready. And I had it all, you know, I don't want any of this. I want immediate skin to skin. I had it all laid out. I had my bag packed with all kinds of gadgets and, uh, you know, meditative tracks and little candles and everything. Um, and then when I went into labor, I went into labor on my due date, um, that night, they had already started talking to me about induction and it was freaking me out. And I just thought there's no way I'm going to let that happen. Like whatever I, you know, all of the natural ways to induce, I'll do what I need to do because I'm not going in to get induced. Never had red raspberry tea before. So I had heard that that could possibly start contractions. So I made the strongest red raspberry tea I could. I had it on my nightstand and I took one sip and then I thought, you know what? I think I need a night of rest first. I'll try Mm. tomorrow. So then my husband and I made love And right after I had like an hour long or more cramp that just wasn't going away. Uh So I started doing all the things, you know, walking around. I tried getting in the tub. I tried everything. I was so uncomfortable. Um, And then the the contraction started and uh, I was very confused because the only storyline that I had ever heard was that the contractions will come on and they'll progress and they'll get longer and closer together and all of that. And I did not have that experience. They were on top of each other, very intense, back to back, different timelines. So I was in complete denial that that could even be labor. Mm. Um, so I called the hospital. They said, you know, the classic, take some time and have a rest and call us whatever. And I was like, I can't, so I'm coming in. Um, so when I was start, my cramp started around, I think 10, quarter after 10 PM. And we got to the hospital. It was about 3 AM and I was three centimeters dilated. So they said, you're staying. And, uh, right away, I kind of said under my breath to my husband, don't take out that birth plan. 
and don't open that bag with all of my stuff in it. Um, and I wasn't like thinking through anything at the time. I just had an immediate feeling that I'm not going to be taken seriously. If I try Mm. and present the beautiful plan that I have right now, you know, I thought I'll just put it up on my board so all the nurses can see. And, uh, right away I was like, this is not happening and I need to do what I'm told. Um, Yeah. That's so classic, right? Like crazy us assuming that staff that we're paying for are going to care about preferences and important, important decisions. I've seen nurses, uh, when women post, um, like hang up their plans on the door, I've seen nurses literally take it off the door, crumple it up and laugh and throw it in front of their face. Yeah. That so you just, you just got it right away. You were right like, away. this is not the deal. Oh. I got off that first nurse. I was like, if I start taking out my little battery, little candle lights and things, I'm going to be the laughing, like I'm going to be the joke of this floor. So, oh my God. um, so then right away I felt like I had lost all control. I just started saying, you know, give me the epidural. And I went from like three to eight or nine centimeters very quickly. It was just really intense. Um, but the anesthesiologist was off, thankfully. And they said, it'll be a while before he comes in, but we can offer you the fentanyl drip. And I said, absolutely not. And then that was really being pushed on me. I just kept saying no. Which is ironic because that's what's in epidurals, but people don't, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all making fun of you. I just mean like people don't know, right? Like you probably weren't thinking or told that fentanyl is what's in epidurals. Mm -hmm. right? You, I'm assuming you didn't know that, right? No, I did not. Yeah. Um, and I think she actually did say that to me at one point, like it's the same stuff. And I was like, who's this person spreading misinformation all over the place? (laughs) Like, how dare she? Oh, right. And I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so thankfully when, when the anesthesiologist came in, I was in a much better headspace. Nice. kind of gotten past that, like really, really intense, uh, portion. And then I did decline it at that point, which is what I wanted. Um, the only thing I tried, I tried the gas and air didn't help me at all, but it actually allowed me to take a deep breath because I had to, and that was helpful. Um, but I gave up on that really quickly. And then I laid on my back with my eyes closed the entire time I was there. Um, and you know, just constantly trying to defend myself against, you know, right away, they wanted to break my waters and give me Pitocin and were kind of shocked when I said no. And, uh, so I'm trying to like have these conversations, like, isn't that going to make my contractions even worse? And they're like, oh yeah, it could, you know, because they didn't understand why I was declining these things. Right. Don't you just want it to be over? Yeah. Um, so I kept trying to push all of that and I tried to even decline the IV, but I was GBS positive. So I had to have six Mm. bags of antibiotic fluids. Woo. Yes. And I tried to decline the monitor as well. It was excruciatingly painful, actually, when they had it on my stomach. It was really interfering with my ability to focus on anything that mm-hmm. I was told absolutely not. Uh, there's no getting around this. You have to have it on. And then my heartbeat was actually in sync with my son's. So it kept setting off this little alarm on the, the monitor thing. Um, it just it was such a pain. And at one point they realized that I hadn't gone pee since I arrived and I was on like bag five of six fluids. Uh, So they said, we're going to have to do a catheter. And I said, no, I'm going to get up and go pee. Um, And they said, no. (laughs) And 
uh, they said I could try and squat up on the table over a little bowl and try and pee, which I did really? try and that was not happening. And I was really fighting on this. I was like, please just let me go pee. Like, what is the big concern? They were like, you could have the baby. And I was like, so come with me then. I don't care. Um, and I lost, I tried really hard, really hard to say no to that. I did not want a catheter, but I did lose that battle and they emptied out my bladder. Um, it didn't really seem to change anything, but, um, then I, I had started to feel like pushy before that. And the doctor told me, no, you can't feel pushy. It's too soon. (laughs) Um, thankfully when he left the room, the nurses were like, it's okay. You can push. We don't care. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to do what my body's asking me to do. Um, and I ended up with coach pushing for four hours, which mm-hmm. I had gone in hoping to not have to push at all. Um, and they could see his head for a long time too. So at one point the doctor came in um, and said, you know, you're going in for a C-section soon. Um, and this doctor actually has a nickname of being like Dr cesarean. Um, so I was, I knew that going into it and I was afraid for that reason. And then he said, you know, we'll wait a little bit longer and just see. And if there's no progress, then it's time for C-section. At that point, I was so defeated from trying to defend myself the entire time that I was just like, you know what, I'm giving up whatever needs to happen needs to happen. But when he did leave the room, I started, you know, I told myself like, okay, if there's ever a time to really push it's now, Um, and something kind of bizarre and interesting is that the nurse was applying counter pressure with her fingers inside me to like, show me how to push or something like that. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, like now this is disturbing to me, but at the time I had no control over my body and I couldn't get off my back. Uh, and so when she was applying the pressure, it felt like it was helping me. Uh, so I, I asked her to keep doing it. So every time she, I had a contraction, which they were still on top of each other this whole time, she would ap- apply this counter pressure. Now I'm just like, that is so weird. Mm. <laughs> um, so that's what was happening. And the doctor came back in and he said, oh, there's been a little bit of progression. So, you know, I'll allow you to continue vaginally. Um, and then he said, but you'll need an episiotomy. Um, because there's just not enough space down there, which I knew that was going to happen coming in. Like I, I just knew that that was going to be said. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, he had me frozen and he had, uh, he had the knife against my skin and at the last minute he did not cut. Thank God. Um, when he said that I started visualizing all of the open things I could possibly come up with in my mind, like flowers blooming and everything, just picturing myself as wide as I could. Um, And then he also like crowned pretty slowly in and out kind of thing, which really I think stretched and helped. Um, But I'm so, so, so thankful that he did not end up making that cut. Just, Oh, I mean, that's fully that's birth under war. Yeah. Like the knife against your perineum people yelling at you, like the whole threatening C-section. I mean, this is classic hospital birth. Obviously this is the story most women know at this point in history, but it's really wild that babies still can emerge. Yeah. And also to add on top of that, at the last minute, as his head was emerging, the nurse came over and put an oxygen mask on me. 
And I have a history of ear surgeries. I've had like six surgeries on my ear. The first one happened when I was 10 and the anesthetic um, was administered via the mask and it made me really ill. So it was like a whole trauma thing for me. Like ever since then I demand absolutely no mask. And so she just came out of nowhere with no explanation, put it on my face as he was coming out. And I'm like, layer of like trauma here. And so I started freaking out. Yeah. And they were kind of laughing and like, it's just oxygen. I'm like going through all of these things at once. It was just insane. Oh my God. So then um, he comes out and the cord is cut, you know, before he's even out of me and he's whisked off to be turned upside down and suctioned and all of these things. Mm. Um, And my legs at this point had been up all day, plus four hours of pushing in these stupid stirrups. And I said to the doctor, if I don't get my legs down right now, I'm going to die. (laughs) And he said, nope, not yet. Um, so all kinds of things are happening at once at this point, I'm leaning up, trying to look over at my baby and I'm asking them what's wrong, what's going on. You know, why is he not on me and why is he not crying and all this? And no one's answering me, of course. Um, just like stoic faces doing their jobs. Robots. At the same time, he's pulling my placenta out. And I literally stopped and said to him, no, please stop. I want to deliver this naturally. And he said, you are delivering it naturally. And he pulled it out. (laughs) And that they did end up giving me a Pitocin, of course, right before he came out. Like there was no getting, I I don't think I ever said yes. Um, You didn't say yes to any of that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they had like beaten me down enough that I was like, just do it. Or if it just happened without me even knowing. Well, they just hang a bag into your IV. It's not. Yeah. Like most of the time women don't even realize it's happening. They just add it. Yeah. So all the things. And then um, eventually he did answer me. He said um, that my son was in shock and that's why they were doing all these things. No shit. (laughs) Yeah. What do you expect? Poor guy. Um, and I knew in my head that he was fine this whole time, but I was so like dissociated at this mm-hmm. point that I felt like I was almost like an actor totally. and I was like filling a role by saying all these things like, Oh, you know, why isn't he crying and all this, even though I knew like everything was fine. Mm-hmm. So then they finally put him on me mm-hmm. and you know, that time frame from him being out of me to on me felt longer than my entire labor, even though it was only a few minutes. And of course there was no immediate connection because I was in, I don't know what kind of state I was in at that point. And then they wanted me up for a shower right away. It took two of them to carry me in because I couldn't walk. Oh, so you couldn't, you weren't allowed to get up and pee, but then they're going to drag you into the shower. Like you're like a farm (laughs) animal. Holy shit. Yeah. Why did you need to shower? uh, I think it's like, it was like on their checklist or something. Like they just wanted to tick the box and say that it was done. Um, and I, I literally could not walk for three days. I was so sore. And they said, Oh, you're the most, the doctor said, you're the most swollen I've ever seen from pushing. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that too, was that some of the time Mm -hmm. during the four hours, I wasn't actually pushing when they were telling me to, I was kind of pretending to, because I didn't really want to push. I wanted the baby to just come out. Um, but then also they were like, Oh, you know, we haven't seen an unmedicated birth like this in so long. That was amazing. And I was like, that is sad. It wasn't even unmedicated. No, you were pumped of fluids, antibiotics and pit. Yeah. It was oh. from that right there just tells you like, you know, that mm-hmm. that was a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
anyway, so then my postpartum with him was good, but I kept Googling PTSD after birth because I just felt like there was some layer of trauma there and I couldn't figure it out and nothing would come up. I knew I didn't have postpartum depression. That was the only thing that kept popping up. And I was like, this isn't right. It's not, I'm not depressed at all. I feel great. I have a good bond with my baby. Um, I was doing really well. I just felt like there was this layer of trauma that I couldn't figure out. Totally. And I never found anything. It took me probably a year to start like processing and actually accepting that I was allowed to say that my experience was traumatic because the only stories I'd ever heard were like, you know, right. The horrible way worse than mine. Like that kind of situation. Your your story's pretty bad. (laughs) It's pretty bad. But when you're looking at PTSD and you're like starting to think on this and you have this, this knowing that, that it, that it's wrong or whatever, like you really, even though no one was around to normalize it, you still knew, right. Or was it, or was it really like, I am genuinely asking, like when you're, when you're looking online or, or you're trying to get that sense, like, did you know that it was wrong and you just, yeah. Will you speak more about that? Like, yeah. is it just everyone's gaslighting you saying it's normal or, um, no, I don't even think I'd shared this, my feelings with anyone. Cause I thought I would be laughed at. Um, my higher self clearly knew that something was very wrong there, but I didn't actually process that something was wrong. I left the hospital with straight up Stockholm syndrome. Like I thought I'll be back here for sure. Um, and how my nurses were so nice and they were, they were nice people. When I left the hospital, I right, thought, but nice. you thought that, so what do you mean when you said you had Stockholm syndrome and you said, I'll be the, I'll be back. Was it like, like, thank God I was there. Like, what, what do you mean when you say you had Stockholm syndrome? Yeah. I felt like, I didn't feel like they, um, like were my saviors or anything, but I felt like, um, I would never, I, I remember leaving the hospital thinking I would never do that without their care. Wow. Like, wow. Like I will def cause before I was like, yeah, you know, I just need to prove myself and then I'll have a home birth the second time. Wow. So when I'm leaving, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I ever thought that, uh, I'll be back here for sure next time. Wow. So like job well done of the system, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, I'm so sorry. <sighs> yeah. It, now when I see that in other people, it just breaks my heart. Totally. Um, So anyways, I'm trying to process all of this. And uh, I was following Jinty at the time on YouTube and her birth video came up. And I remember I watched it the first time and I thought, this is amazing. And also she's crazy. Where's her midwife? Like what's (laughs) going on here? Um, But then she linked her podcast episode. And then I became like full on obsessed at that point. I listened to every single episode. I started unlearning how all of these things I thought were problems were not. Mm. Um, and I was just like exploding with this. I was telling everyone that I knew, I'm like, have you ever heard of free birth? Like, this is amazing. Um, and just devouring every single episode. I, I was just like, this is the answer. Like I'm, I'm literally learning how my emotional response to the fact that that was traumatic is validated because appropriate yeah because of the stories that I'm hearing and it just felt so powerful so I knew that definitely that's the path I was going to be on um from then on and then um flash forward to I think it was January 2020 we started trying for our second baby 
Um, and then I joined the Free Birth Society membership and I did some of the conscious conception calls with Nancy and um, I never had any like direct communication, I would say with spirit babies, but it's a really interesting story now that I felt <laughs> that there was two spirits that wanted to come in. And I even told like, my grandma this story when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm feeling two spirits. I feel like one of them is a girl and she's very headstrong and she's not supposed to come in yet, but she doesn't want to wait. She just wants to come. And the other one that I thought was probably a boy, was like a really calm, totally cool, like gentle soul who was supposed to come first, but then the girl was like fighting to come in first. So I just couldn't decide <laughs> who's coming. I didn't know what was going on. I never felt like I figured it out. Obviously makes sense now. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah. And, and then this was actually a really weird time in our lives. Um, my dad was uh, sick that we found out at this time when we were trying that my dad had cancer. Hmm. Um, so it took us, uh, seven months, which at the time felt like seven years, like mm -hmm. it was just such an emotional roller coaster. And I remember, um, right before I got pregnant, I was sitting, rocking my son to sleep, looking out the window. And I just had this huge feeling like this full moon that's coming up the beginning of September is going to be huge, just going to be a big deal. And I don't know why. And then flash forward to that full moon, I'm rocking him to sleep. And all of a sudden I got the feeling I'm pregnant. And the next morning we got the call that my dad had passed away. Aww. So right away, I just said, okay, obviously I was off and this is what the full moon was about. And I'm not pregnant. I'm just going to push all of that aside we're going to stop trying and, um, just forget about it. But at the same time, like right after I got the call and we're like rushing to get to the hospital to go say goodbye to his body. Oh. And I had this feeling in the back of my mind, like there's still a chance you could be pregnant. So this mantra just popped into my head and it was, if you know grief, you will know love. And I just kept saying over in my mind, if you know grief, you will know love. And it just felt like the way that I could protect this potential being from all of the emotional stress that I was about to go through. Mm. Um, so then besides the mantra, I just completely put it out of my mind. And um, a couple weeks after the funeral, I started thinking about taking a test. Um, it was, I didn't want to take a test. I didn't want another like disappointment but I also felt like the world was just so many unknowns at this point. I just needed something for sure. So, totally. um, so I took the test and I was pregnant and the due date uh, that I calculated was that the baby was due to be born right on the week of my dad's birthday. Hmm. Um, so that felt really special. And of course, all of the time that we were trying to conceive, I kept thinking, you know, there's a big plan and there's a timeline here. I just can't figure it out. Of course. Um, so that felt really good after just knowing that, you know, as obviously these dates just line up for a reason. Um, and then, yeah, so the pregnancy was hard. <laughs> um, it was like kind of similar to my son's pregnancy, but times 10, I was wow. vomiting every day and, um, everything just felt really challenging but it was during the pandemic and I was working from home for a lot of it. Everything was about isolation. And I was really happy about that at the time. I just kept to myself and it felt so good to be at home. And how um, old is your son at this point? 
he is two. Well, he's just over two. Yeah. He just turned, he was almost two and a half. He just turned three in, um, the end of July. So, um, so did the symptoms being so much more intense, like ring any bells for you? I thought it was a girl, um, because they were similar, but just more, uh, that's just, I just assumed it was a girl because yeah, that's, or just a different pregnancy. I knew that every pregnancy could be totally different. I just started eating meat again. I knew I was probably nutrition, like nutritionally behind. Uh, there was a lot of things. I, my dad had just died. I was stressed, you know, totally COVID. Um, yeah, yeah, I was isolated. It was just, yeah, I, I didn't think anything of it. Um, I was just trying to get through each day. I was definitely happy to be home. Um, yeah. And then it, towards the end was the most challenging of all. Um, I never felt like I never felt huge. Right. Um, I was going to say, I mean, obviously I haven't met you in person, but I saw your pregnancy photos and I was shocked once we all knew it was twins. I went back and looked and was like, damn her. She really just had a kind of average size belly. It seemed like, and you seem like a smaller frame. So I would think that twins would hold like big on you, but yeah, I'm pretty small. I got a lot of comments on how big I was and I was very offended by all of them because I just thought I'm not that big. And I was, um, I didn't have any care at all this time. So I was measuring myself just kind of for fun every once mm-hmm. in a while. And I was on track with everything. Even my weight gain was all similar to my first pregnancy until the end. <laughs> this is, um, this is going to fuck so many women up. <laughs> I know I'm going to get in their heads now. It's oh, funny. They're going to be like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You never Um, know, ladies. (laughs) Obviously, I didn't feel two babies either. Um, There was a ton of movement and I could see a lot of flopping around on the top, but I always Mm -hmm. felt three distinct bumps. And I just thought head, butt and back. Like, that's what I thought I was feeling in like kind of an L shape. But plus the sneaky ones can be behind. Yeah. Right. Like one could be hanging out in the more the, the area that you would palpate. Yeah. And I also had a fee scope, which I was using for fun. Uh, and I heard like heartbeats all over the place. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Am I hearing my heartbeat? Am I hearing a placenta? I don't know what I'm hearing. So I just gave up on that. Gotcha. Um, and I think, I kind of think that my placenta was towards the right side and that the first baby was, they were definitely sideways. And so the first one, the feet would have been into the placenta, which is why I never felt any of those kicks. Mm. I'm just assuming all of this, but that's kind of what, like, even when I look back at the videos now, I can see that there's a baby on top mm-hmm. and I have to play it out. But, um, so I only felt, um, really big just after like 30 ish weeks, I felt, I felt big. Um, but then it, it kind of like leveled off after that. Like I never got even bigger or bigger. Wow. So I just assumed like, okay, they had a growth spurt and now I'm, everything's cool. Um, okay. But, so I have to ask. Yes. For real, did it ever cross your mind? Because I have a running theory that you could either prove or disprove now, because you and I've never talked about this, but I have a running theory that I've only known three, three, three women, no, four women. Now you included four women who had surprise twins and like that I personally knew. And those four, the, the unilateral, like the common denominator between them is they didn't consider twins. 
well, actually, I don't know that about you yet. The other three didn't, they, it just didn't occur to them that there would be two. And so they didn't look for it. So my running theory is if you look for it, it's not that hard to actually find. It's that if you don't consider it, you know, it's like, you don't even consider it as a possibility. Then I could see how, especially without a big old belly or something. Okay. So now you tell me what you think. Yeah, no, I'm going to disprove you. I, I have had a fear of having twins since I was Uh 10 years old. Uh, I definitely considered it and thank God I had the weekly, um, prenatal circle uh, with Christine on the free birth society was my lifesaver. And I was complaining to these ladies the whole time. I'm like, people are telling me I'm too big. And, uh, you know, that I could be having twins and I think they're crazy. And I don't know if you saw the comment on one of the threads on the membership, someone said, I feel like I might have twins. Uh, and I commented like a couple hours before I had my babies and said, you know, I've been speculating this myself and I keep having fears around it. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I really feel there's only one. <laughs> so then like fast forward, like 12 hours. And then my next comment was, never mind, just said twins. <laughs> if you're like most of my listeners, you are devouring these episodes, fascinated by the women's stories and wondering if you could do this too. Do you wish that you had a step-by-step strategy for how to actually plan and manifest your free birth? Our complete guide to free birth is the number one course for free birth, and we made it for women just like you. It's a self-guided online intensive course that will teach you everything we think you need to know about how to birth freely and in your power. We'll take you all the way from unpacking industrial care to what DIY prenatal care looks like, how to pick and prep your support team, what to expect, look out for, and how to shift when more support could be needed. Yes, we'll cover the what-ifs, how to prevent complications, and how to orient your entire life towards a powerful birth. So head on over to freebirthsocietycourses.com now and take the first step towards the birth of your dreams. Holy moly. Okay, so so is it is it true to say then that you did explore it to some degree mm-hmm. internally? And then kept resorting back to like, no, I feel clear that it's just one. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that was my fear. Like, I just don't know why I have I've always had this, I've manifested this in my life because I've always had a fear of having twins. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look back and reflect, like everything was so perfectly laid out for me, because if I had known during the pregnancy that I had twins, my whole story would have been different. Hell I would yeah. have been genuinely depressed, first of all, because I did not want twins. Totally. <laughs> and then all of these, like, if you even Google the word twins, nothing to do with birth, there's like 50 pages of uh, risks and fears and danger and all this oh stuff. Oh my God, totally. Face. I'm like, if I had even gone down that road, my whole life would be different right now. Oh. So everything was meant to, like, I debated on seeing a midwife just once because I thought it would make the uh, birth certificate process easier. Mm-hmm. But every time I came to that like point in my pregnancy where I thought this will be it, I was like, why am I doing this? And so I never went, if I had done that, everything would have mm-hmm. been different. Even my chiropractor, she's like, I feel so stupid that I didn't know. Like how, how did I not know? You know well, was she palpating? Yeah. And she was, she was pointing out spots on my abs that were starting to like separate a bit and how I could breathe through that. And Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I'm like, thank God you didn't know, because you would have 
screwed me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't know. That was just the stories that I could not know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I genuinely believed it was only one, but it definitely crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. So then uh, the end of my pregnancy was really hard. I was having these sensations in my back. It was just like almost unbearable. And when I went to see the chiropractor that week, she said like, you don't need to come back. There's nothing else I can do. You are so ready. Your sacrum is like flapping in the wind. You're (laughs) wide open. And I was like, I know this baby is coming any day. Um, And this was like five days. They were born five days before my dad's birthday. So I wasn't sure this whole time if they were like holding off or like, I knew my body was so ready. It was going to happen any minute. And then the next day I had my son with me all day and he was extremely clingy. It was a really hard day. He just wanted to be carried everywhere. I felt like Mm. I did all the work that the chiropractor had done. Totally. That's carrying three babies now on your body. Holy moly. So I was carrying him around everywhere and the weight of my stomach, like I gained a ton more weight this time, but nothing on my body. It was all my stomach. Wow. That would have been an indicator right there, but I just never put two and two together. Mm -hmm. It was physically painful for me to roll over from one side to the other at night. I had to like lift my stomach. Right. Like you, like you telling me all of this, if, if I didn't, you know, if you and I were talking and you were pregnant and you were telling me all of this stuff, I would say, it sounds like you have twins. Yeah. Like, you know, like hearing, hearing, hearing heartbeats everywhere, like all, everything you've said 10 times worse symptoms, but yeah, it sounds like you were blissfully protected. Yes. Psychologically protective. Factor, yeah. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, and that like, no one ever had that conversation. Like even, uh, Christine from the circle, she was like, there was times where I thought like, you know, you could be having twins, but she never said it. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad you didn't because I'm just, I couldn't have entered that space. Mm-hmm. It would have thrown me off so mm-hmm. much. That's a really valid and, and significant point to pause on for a second, because so many, Obviously, let me say it this way. Obviously the mainstream move is to get a million ultrasounds and the whole approach is know as much as we can to rule out as much as we can to be prepared for as much as we can. And there is a heavy, heavy, heavy psychological, spiritual cost to that, right? To over knowing. I think about, you know, how many women I have, I've walked with in the system who find out halfway through their pregnancy that their baby has clubbed feet or that their baby has a supposed marker for downs or that their baby has a supposed heart, you know, defect. I mean, on and on and on the long laundry list goes, as we all know. And what does it really do for them? You know, it stresses them the F out hardcore. It medicalizes their pregnancy on a whole new level. It, it hyper medicalizes their birth baby's like already in route to NICU and for what pretty much all of that stuff either corrected itself or you deal with it when the baby's out like the clubbed feet, for example, like, yeah, that, that will need to get dealt with at some point, but, or a baby, you know, missing a limb. I mean, just thinking of all the things I've seen where it's like, what are we going to do about it? What are, we just got to get the baby here, you know? And I think there's something so yeah, spiritually protective to live in the What's that quote? Um, if the, if the womb was meant to be seen, it would have a window or something like that. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know who said that, but yeah, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful, blissful, not knowing. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And no one out, like I had never told anyone in my family or anything that I was doing this. Um, wow. So I was completely isolating myself. And uh, was your partner all in or was there some stickiness there? No, he was all in. Well, I definitely said like, you can be there or you can not be there and this is happening. So, mm-hmm. um, but he's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And he said like, I trust you and I support you. And that's all I needed, you know, and he didn't want anything to do with like watching the birth videos or learning about um, the what ifs or anything. Uh, so I really didn't know when the time came, how he was going to be because like he, he didn't, he had no interest in that stuff. But then of course he was exactly what I needed. I told him the only thing he actually needed to know was the difference between me saying, Oh, I can't do this. And totally. something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, you know, very clearly the difference between those two and that's all you need to know. Right. Which he uh, already knew. Yeah. So that was all good. And then, um, yes. So I was having a really hard day. I was with my toddler carrying him around all day. He was whiny and, uh, he could feel this big adjustment was coming. And I was just so, you know, I was dealing with a lot of emotional release at the end. Um, and then the physical pain, I just, it was hard. It was challenging. Um, and then, uh, that day I had this really weird heart pain (laughs) and I could hear my heartbeat throughout my whole body. And I could feel like this pain as it was like pulsing. And I was like, man, I could be dying right now. Like this is really intense. And it lasted for hours. I genuinely thought like, do I need to go to the hospital? (sighs) I'm literally like, feel like I'm minutes away from giving birth. If I go to the hospital right now, everything everything is going to be ruined that I've worked so hard to avoid. Um, and I don't think I can handle that. So I, I just held off uh, whatever this weird sensation was. My husband finally got home from work and took my son away. So I could just be quiet with myself. I started doing like a visualization, some green light around my heart and like some pink light flowing to my baby and white light around me. And I just focused on that as hard as I could for like 10 minutes and the sensation went away. Nice magic. Okay. So that was definitely my final test of this pregnancy. Like that felt like my final, like, can you surrender moment? And now I'm definitely going to give birth. (laughs) And like two hours later, I was climbing into bed and I heard a huge pop and felt a huge pop. And I was like, that was strange. I think the baby literally just kicked me in the cervix. And then my waters (laughs) floated all over the bed. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. That was my last test. This is happening. Um, so my husband came up and I said, okay, the baby's coming, get some rest. I don't know uh, how long this is going to be. Um, but the whole time I kind of had an idea that it would be three, three hours. Um, and my birth, I'm pretty sure was three hours. And my mom always said that I came so fast that she was like shaking it out of control. Mm. So I said, okay, well, I'm probably going to rewrite that. And the same thing will happen, but I will be in feeling in control. And, um, so, but I didn't know at the time, I just told him to get some rest. And then I put on my, uh, affirmation track and track and just got into child's pose and like started to focus. And then again, it was uh, just after 10. So the same time that I went into labor with my son Uh and then the contraction started and I was going back and forth to the bathroom I was trying to do that whole game where it's like, you don't get in the tub too soon, but you want to get in the tub. It's like, just get in the tub. So I was like, why am I doing this? I'm just going to get in. But I had had a bath earlier that day 
And I thought I didn't get enough time in there. I thought maybe I'll come in again in an hour. So we have like a huge jacuzzi tub. So yeah, I noticed that in the video. I was like, what kind of a tub is that? It's well, we literally built this bathroom for me to give birth in. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but so I just drained half of it and I thought I'll get back in in like an hour and I'll just fill the other half with hot water just um, to save like filling the whole thing again. So I got in and it was freezing cold. Yeah. I could not get hot water in there. I should have just emptied it, but I didn't. It was cold the whole time. I had hot water running constantly. <laughs> It never got warm one bit and it wasn't providing any relief, but I was in there and I stayed in there. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. All those like practice baths where I'm like listening to my tracks and like, Oh no, but I was in the tub anyways. And, uh, I felt like after just a handful of contractions, I felt my body bearing down and then I really accepted like, okay, this is going to be my three hour birth. Mm. Um, so I had to get in the right headspace as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. So I just started thanking my body for every single contraction. I was like, just in awe of the work that it was doing. I just kept saying, thank you. Thank you for doing everything so perfectly for knowing what to do. And then when I had a rest, I would say, thank you for a rest. Like, thank you for a chance to breathe. I just kept that going. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it was. And I had, you know, I had my eyes closed again, but you know, obviously there's no concept of time and birth. It, it all felt like five minutes to me, but I also want to say that that would have been an impossible task in the hospital. Yeah. 100%. You know, I think it's important for women listening. Like that is so profoundly beautiful that you had access to the internal resources within you to call on appreciation and gratitude for what your body and your babies were doing. I mean, that's so huge and talk about like a quick way to get into this mindset that you're calling in. And it would literally, I I can't imagine how it could have been done while people are asking you a million questions and fingering you and, and forcing you in different ways and humiliating you. Like it, it, when it's literally not possible because you can't be in a state of gratitude while that's happening, you know, I couldn't even, I couldn't even be in a state of focusing on my breath when that was happening. Exactly. You have to disembody, like you have to disassociate in this front of your brain, but also don't use the front of your brain. It just doesn't. (sighs) Yeah. I love it. I love you like knowing to do that and, and being willing to do that and just how, um, magical it is when we can call that in. Yeah. So cool. it did like the gratitude really helped me get in that space as fast as possible. Totally. Um, and then the other thing I was doing was like asking myself, are you really feeling pain or is it just intensity? And when I could stop, quiet down and ask the question, I could say, no, it's just intensity. Hmm. And it worked. Like, you know, I've heard the stories before of women saying, ah, I didn't feel pain. And I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. But while I was in the moment, I was able to ask myself genuinely, like, what is this mm-hmm. you're feeling? And it was not pain. It was intensity. Yeah. So then, um, my husband at some point came in with my son and I actually didn't know they were in the room. They were just sitting there silently watching me. Hmm. Uh, and so my son sneezed at one point and then I was like, Oh wow, they're in here. <laughs> um, and you know, he was like, uh, completely quiet this entire time. You know, he would put a hand on my arm, but he never said a word. Um, he saved it all. For- <laughs> he saved it all. He was on a birth high after. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Um, but I think that's like a lot of people were commenting on that. And I just think like, during that whole first part, like he, he, I didn't even know he was in there. Like he That's was so totally cool. respectful of the space and like, didn't want to interfere and probably half asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that he would only wake up if it was meant to be like, I just knew that. Would be mm-hmm. the case. 
So um, I wanted to catch the baby on my own, but the water was freezing cold. So I ended up having to stick my butt up out of the water at the last minute. And her head was coming down so fast. I was like, I felt down, which was magical, felt her head coming. And then I started saying to her, like, slow down, slow down, slow down. Like, I feel you just just flying out of me. And it's like too much. Um, and then that's the only part where I was like, okay, this, like, I could, I could call this pain, like her head coming out. Um, and then her head was already out. And I said to my husband, Kyle, did you start the video? Cause I really wanted a video of this. I don't know. I quickly got into that front of my brain again for a second. And so he turned it on. And then I said, you're going to have to catch because I need to lift my butt out of this freezing cold water. So he jumped in and he was like shocked that the head was already out. Like this was happening so fast. Um, and then there was like a long, like several minutes before the body actually came out. So this whole time I started answering questions for the rest of the birth. I was answering questions without actually knowing, like I was in my primal brain at this point. I just answered and I didn't actually know, like, he's like, do I have time to get Dawson? I'm like, yep. I have no idea. The body could fly out any minute, but sure. Uh, and then she came out. And, uh, he passed her to me and my son got to check that he had a sister and we were just all completely overjoyed in your freezing tub, my freezing cold tub. That's the funniest part of this whole story. And then I, there was like a rest period. We were all just like soaking her in and everything. And then, um, I started to feel contractions again. And in my head, I was like, yes, this placenta is coming quick. We're all going to be sleeping. It's going to be great. Um, and then it's funny because like in the video you can tell like there's 20 minutes between the two of them and you can clearly see that I'm still in labor but because I was in labor land and there was no time like even even my husband we both genuinely thought before we watched the video that that was five minutes that they were five minutes apart and we were telling people they were born five minutes apart so even though you can see that I'm in labor that never like there was no thought process there I thought it was five minutes and the placenta was coming and that was that and then uh (laughs) At one point, I think I started to feel and it felt kind of hard. And I said to my husband, like, can you check? Like, is this the placenta coming? Um, but because she was in the sack, he just saw like a weird sacky thing. And he said, yeah, it's placenta. Totally. And then uh, he kind of felt too and went, mm, that's really hard. And there was no thought. Like, I never, never crossed my mind that there was even another baby coming at this point. Right. But I was also not afraid that there was something hard coming out of me, which is very strange. And then she literally flew out. And this whole time, my son's going on in the background saying, you know, we could be having two babies. Maybe we're having two sisters. And we're just like completely ignoring him. Still, That's part of the video is you going, you like think you're about to birth the placenta. You're in your land and he's, you know, jabbering behind you. And he said he presents it in the video as the first as an idea and you're like I don't want two babies and you just said it's so calm and so matter of fact (laughs) it's amazing I think that's the moment when I realized like oh there's a chance this could be a second baby yeah and what's with his already been out already at that point I don't know what's with your son's like insane intuition like psychic abilities how did he even he's two years old in this video yeah he would have been two and a half. It's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he knows more about birth than most adults. So I know. <laughs> he was like, mom, where's the placenta? And like, oh my God, oh, so cute. So cute. 
And yeah, I completely ignored him until the point where she was actually out. And then I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then my husband basically said, it's another baby. I was like, okay, are they okay? She was in the sack. Yeah. Um, but I needed a minute at this point. <laughs> like I couldn't turn around yet. I just needed to like gather myself. So I just said, is she okay? Mm. And he said, uh, she's in the sack. Is she okay in the sack? And I said, she's fine. And I just took my time to like, take a breath, gather my strength. And then I turned around and ripped it off of her face with one uh, hand. Wait, because you're holding the other baby. Yes. I'm holding the baby this entire time. And I have, it's very strange. I have no memory of seeing her in her sack. Cause like, if I saw that in a video, I'd be like, that is so cool. But with my own eyes, I have no memory of seeing that. I just have a memory of pulling it over. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even sure if she was fully in it after mm-hmm. birth or if there was just like a piece over her face until I watched the video. Um, but at that point I was just like fully in it, like yeah, ripped it off, grabbed her. And then I think it was like 30 seconds later. And I was like, I got to get out of this tub. This totally. My poor babies were like hanging in the tub. They both cried right away. Um, and I noticed when the first one was born, her cord was like already white when she came out. I thought that was interesting. Um, didn't know there was a whole other baby still connected to the placenta. So, right. Oh, so they shared a placenta. <laughs> shared a placenta. Uh-huh which I also didn't know. And I actually knew nothing about twins at all. Mm-hmm. I thought, I just assumed there would be two placentas. So then, um, uh, we scooted over to the bed and, um, it took a long time for the placenta to come. Like it was like three, three and a half hours at least. Yeah. And I think, you know, now like that I've had a t- chance to reflect, I think that was an important time for me to like somewhere in my brain, figure out what was going on. Totally. Um, but at the time I just felt like I can't tend to these girls until I get this thing out of me. Like it's all I could focus on. Mm-hmm. And they just laid there the entire time. They never cried or anything. They were just like chilling. Um, and I was like pulling on the cord. I was like doing all these things. I was like, I got to get this out. Like now it was so much work. It was, oh, man, I was just so ready to be done at that point. And I was doing like chanting release and I was in the deep squats and all these different things. And I was giving them kisses, like just trying to get the oxytocin yeah. flowing. I didn't breastfeed. I just felt like I couldn't handle them yet. I just needed <sighs> to get this over with. That's a big placenta. You're, you're it was huge. getting to detach too, which of course heavy. you can. And yeah, I bet that was big. Uh, and I thought there was going to be two of them. So then when it finally did come out, I was like, whoa, that thing's big. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my husband and my son both went to go pee. And this was at like five or just at 5.30 in the morning or something. And it just fell out. I was like, Hmm. So all those stories I've heard about really needing privacy. Like I just assumed that wasn't true because, Uh but I do think I needed that time, um, somewhere for my brain to like process as well. But we never got into like shock mode where we're like, Whoa, we had to, like, we were just, it was exactly like the video. It stayed that way. Uh It was what it was. Um, so then after I was like, okay, I need a shower, bit of a mess going on here. <laughs> so I went and showered, came back, crawled into bed with them. And then like, it was morning at this point. So we didn't sleep, but, um, my son left for the day. He wanted to leave to go to his uh, grandparents' house. So it worked out well. Did, did you not nurse the babies until after the placenta? Mm-hmm. Wow. So for yeah. like hours, yeah. Which and is they were so like, funny. whatever. They were so fine. And I was like, you know, the golden hour and how important it is. And I want to breastfeed right away. And I want to breastfeed to help the placenta. Like I had all of that in mind. 
and it just didn't happen. And yeah. it, everything was still totally fine. But I mean, you still, you still had your golden hour. Like you, you don't have to nurse, you know, like you still had a protected, dark, private supported space. You still were bonding with them. Even if you weren't like, you know, doing the whole, like, oh, I'm staring at you and I'm smelling everything and we're nursing. You're still in it in the kind of birth that you had, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I still felt like everything went perfectly. I just, at the time, like I thought that was going to be really important to me to breastfeed right away. And then in the moment, I just knew that it wasn't. And then you had twins. We're going to figure this out. (laughs) Oh man. Wow. Okay. So, and then, so tell me about once the placenta is out, and I hope you have a picture of that. I would love to see it. Um, then I'm also really thinking about how beautifully adaptive it is that the second baby came out in the sack. Cause so much of the fear around twins is malpositioning, you know, with the second baby and just none of that matters really. If they're in the sack, it's just so sweet and smart. Yeah, they were both, I'm pretty sure they were both sunny side up because I didn't see obviously, but my husband said that both of them were, um, facing the other way. And then as soon as I looked up twins after they were born, all I wanted to know was whether they might be identical or fraternal. Mm -hmm. And immediately, like I said, all these pages of just mongering came up and I started reading a couple of days later, like some of these, like how to prepare for having twins things. Just, I was just so curious how different it would have been if I knew. Totally. And it was going on about how, like, first of all, you're definitely gonna have a C-section. Um, but even if you have the first one vaginally, they could rush you into a C-section because oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Happy. I'm like, obviously they're not both going to be head down in my pelvis. Like we got to give the other one some time to get there, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it worked perfectly. Like, and even if they weren't head down, I was going to be totally fine with that too. But yeah. Um, yeah. It just happened they knew exactly what they were doing. And so have you been able to figure out if they're identical yet? Yeah. So the grand census is that they are consensus is that they are. Um, but apparently the only way to really truly find out is with a test, which I don't care to get. Well, they look identical and they shared one placenta. So people say exactly. that they're identical. So, so they like, can you tell them apart? I can tell them apart, but at the beginning it was like a huge thing. I was like, one of them had like a some blood or something on the forehead and I didn't bathe them for a long time. And I was like, okay, hey, we're going to leave that marking there. Cause this is it. I could mix them up and they didn't even have names for like, I would fully days. mark one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so um, th- we did a cord burning ceremony when my son got home that night and their cords were tied differently. So mm-hmm. that was like our indicator for the first little while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we got the little anklets. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. I want to hear about breastfeeding twins and what, what is that like? And what was it like in the very beginning? And yeah, I mean, all of it immediate postpartum, what is those first couple of weeks of like integrating this new reality, telling everyone just what, what are those first couple of weeks like? Telling everyone was awesome because not only did I get to tell them that I just had surprise twins, but that I also did it on my own. And guess what? I was never part of the system. And it was a lot. Um, at that point, thankfully I was just like, so in my power that I was ready for whatever reactions came and they were all good. So that was really nice. I stayed in bed. Um, 
breastfeeding, you know, it was challenging in the beginning, just the initial like tenderness. And I couldn't, um, tandem feed them at the beginning because their little heads are so small and I would be like choking them. And, um, so that was a lot trying to figure that out and figure out different positions. And then I had a little like mastitis situation going on and, Mm -hmm. Um, but we got through it. I always say like those six weeks, if you can get through those first six weeks, like things are going well. Yeah. Um, you've been initiated. Yeah. <laughs> You'll probably figure out every like trial and tribulation during that time. Uh, and now of course it's just, it's amazing. And I use like the affirmations that I listened to while I was pregnant helped change the way that I think, because I listened to them with both pregnancies every single night as I fell asleep. So in my early postpartum, I was able to use that and just start self-talking my own affirmations. Like there is no need to fear. I have enough milk for both, uh, everything, you know, Mm. my body's working well. Like Mm -hmm. if I can trust birth, I can trust my postpartum body as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really helpful. And I feel like the healing is it's felt very long and slow. Um, and the integrating as well, like I feel so blessed and they're both just absolutely amazing they're perfect babies but I still think all the time like hey this situation right now that I'm in would be a lot easier if I had one baby (laughs) every day I'm home with you know my son and the two babies and um we figure it out you know moments are a lot we ebb and flow with it but I just try and see it all as beautiful and I know that I you know I don't think we're given anything we can't handle and um definitely try and keep that kind of mindset, like with the affirmations where I just really focus on all of the, the good and the trust and yeah. And trusting my babies has been a huge difference too, just from the the way that this birth went, like I fully trust those two girls, Mm. um, all of the things that might've been problems before they're not problems because I just have full trust. And I just feel like to bring daughters into the world that way is just so like, Mm. so powerful. It just makes me smile. (laughs) Totally. Me too. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of nice that your son was so young to integrate it too, because this is just his reality. And I mean, he obviously had to go through his huge adjustment at the beginning. Like he wanted nothing to do with me for the first two weeks, which was totally, you know, it was hard to take from being with him 24 seven, but it also worked really well because it gave me that space. Um, and then, you know, I started reading up on how horrible, horrible in air quotes, twin pregnancies are. And I just, I'm still not over it, like getting ultrasounds every week and all kinds of crazy things. And because I didn't know that I was pregnant with twins, like, yes, my pregnancy was hard, but it wasn't as hard as they're making it out to be with totally. all these horror stories. Like, um, the only other thing I forgot to add about my pregnancy was that I did put myself on a bit of bed rest, um, towards the end, I started losing my mucus plug, which I knew was not a problem, but intuitively I felt I'm losing my mucus plug because I'm doing too much and I need to just rest. How early? uh, It's all jumbled in my mind now. Like it was very early 30, the thirties weeks, but early on, um, I have it all written down. I journaled the school. I haven't even gone back and read any of it yet, but and then you birthed right before 40. Yeah. So I was, uh, just a couple of days shy of 39 weeks. Okay. Yeah, and eight and five, I think. And what were your baby's weights roughly six and six and a half. And they were both 19 
like the same measurements as my, my son was seven pounds, 19 inches. So amazing. like, yeah, it's wild. I really didn't feel that much bigger than I was with him. Obviously I was a bit bigger, but I just, the fact that both of them were in there, that size, I'm like, how I know just wild. I mean, we do that with one baby, much less two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Amazing. The body is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. And you're amazing. And we just need more stories like this. You know, so many, as you know, so many twin moms are just like facing down the tunnel of surgery that they don't really think that they necessarily need. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be recovering from surgery right now. Oh, no. Brutal. Absolutely not. <laughs> and then to care for two littles and a toddler. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love your story. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to share it and for the beautiful video in the tub. And yeah, anyone can go find that mm-hmm. on my page if you want to see it. And yeah, I appreciate thank you sharing. Thank you so much for having me. This is like full circle for me from listening mm. to the podcast and like trying to like manifest that maybe one day that'll be me. And here we are. So that's awesome. I love that. It's so cool. Yeah. So many of, of the interviews from season five are women who who had found the podcast and envisioned, held the vision of being on it. And so amazing that we are all coming full circle in such big ways. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start. Conscious.